Um, a lot of people give me books, and so um, if you're going to give me a book, um, kind of hold it for three months, if you mind. I'm, I'm actually on a fairly busy reading schedule right now. But one was given to me a number of years ago. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's called Live Not By Lies. Um, and it's, it's a marvelously written book. It's, it's disturbing. It's, it's fundamentally about freedom and the precious freedom that we have in our country and the possibility that we're losing it. In the book, there's a number of people that are interviewed, and what I think most of them all have in common is this, that the people interviewed once lived in communist or totalitarian regimes, and they now live here. And they're being interviewed, and they're talking about the freedom that they didn't have and the freedom they, they have here and how precious it is, and maybe some of their warning signs of, hey, we feel some of the same things here that we did over there. Well, one of the things that interested me in this book is in the interviews, people that have been in communist countries who came here, none of them have a smartphone. And, and the reason they say in the book, in the interview, is because they don't want their privacy invaded. Now, you know, there's all kinds of rumors out there that this thing listens to you. And so I tested it and I said, how do you take your wife on a trip to Cancun for free? And all of a sudden, 24 hours later, I'm getting all of these invitations to go to Cancun. Seriously. Um, I, I also put in there how to buy a, a really insane um, diamond ring for my wife's 40th anniversary. And then all of a sudden, I got all these jewelers who are interested in me. Does it listen to me? I, I'm quite certain it does. And so I pray out loud a lot, hoping that somebody is getting them. Um, I, I do a lot of scripture memory, and, and so yesterday, I put my phone right there, and I was pounding them for about 45 minutes with the word of God. So I don't know who's listening, but they're getting it. They're getting it. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking that when I get to heaven, I can't wait for this one. I walk in, and some guy's like, hey, I was working for Google, and you saved me. <laughs> One can dream, right? Well, the reality is we all love our freedom. And maybe we're a little asleep at the wheel, and I hope we're not. But the fact is, freedom is not really just a political word. It is. It's a political world. It's an economic world. Uh, we all like to be free from hunger. We like to be free from economic disasters. A lot of things that we like to be free. But don't let freedom, that term, get locked into just something of a political word. It's a Jesus word. In fact, when Jesus came on the scene and there were people questioning him, are you the Messiah? John in particular asked him that. Do you remember what Jesus responded? He, he quoted Psalm or uh, Isaiah 61, and he says, I have come to proclaim release to the captives, their, their prisoners, and also to set the oppressed free. Uh, one could, I think, argue quite successfully from the Bible that a synonym of salvation is freedom. 
And so it's something that we ought to understand and not necessarily in this moment am I going to talk to you about freedom from, you know, big brother, from big sister, from, you know, totalitarian uh, leaders, but rather what does it mean to be free as a Christian, because Christ said, if you hold to my teaching and you're really my disciples, then you're going to know the truth and the truth is going to set you free. Now, he doesn't technically deal with it in this text, but it's something we have to deal with and that is free from what? Well, he, he makes this statement. He says, how can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus responds, I'm in verse 34, and he replies to them, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So one might argue he's freeing us from sin. What does it look like? I'm going to give you two things that broadly, I think, categorize the sin that he's talking about. And the first one is condemnation or guilt. Now, Freud came along the scene and tried to launch a movement trying to tell us that actually guilt is a bad thing. It's actually a pathological condition given to us by the religious. The problem is, is there's been too many five-year-olds that have not been indoctrinated by any religion. And when they take a cookie and mom says, what do you have in your hand? And they whip their hand in the back. What, what made them put their hand back there? So I've never seen a five-year-old kid in my life when mom says, what do you have in your hand? Freedom! I got my cookie! Finders, keepers, losers, weepers! They don't say that. They have guilt. When a person does something wrong, When I walk into a restaurant and I see a man with another woman that's not his wife and I come up and he, and he realizes that I'm his waiter and he looks at me, he doesn't look at me like, hey, Marcus, sure good to see you. It was as awkward as you can imagine as he realized in that moment he was found out. And his face, his face said it, his face, you didn't have to say a word. His face said, I am in trouble. I'm guilty. I'm with a woman that's not my wife. And probably this young man, I was quite young at the time. And I didn't even know what to do with the information that I had. I was kind of like, whoa, Mike, huh? fancy meeting you here. And who is she? I knew it wasn't his sister. You don't do to women if you're, they're your sister, what he was doing. He was guilty. Guilt is the recognition of responsibilities not done, not shame. I think shame is something that, it's another story, another sermon. Freud comes along and says that guilt is pathological. The Bible says guilt is part of being human. When we have disobeyed God, when we have disobeyed our elders, when we have disobeyed our boss, when we have lied, we feel guilty. We have, and, and the problem is, is when you feel guilty, you feel that con condemnation. Years ago, I had a, when I was a police chaplain, I was out with a, a sergeant and he, he pulls over. I, I can take you to the spot on Hoffman Boulevard when he pulled over and he just looked over at me and said, chaplain, 20 years ago, I slept with a woman that wasn't my wife. I had an affair and it's been eating me alive. For 20 years, this poison has been in his soul. And what we all need is freedom. Mark Twain 
He's famous for saying that people are the only animals that blush and the only ones that need to. I've never seen my dog look guilty. I've seen my dog look at me like, you know what, I want to eat. Um, And uh, it was the other dog that peed on the floor, not me. You need to know that. (laughs) I've seen him tell me those things. But I've never seen my dog blush. Humans do that. And because of that, we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. We need somebody to be able to deal with that. Otherwise, what you do is you just cycle and cycle. And then you forget for a while. And then it comes back and kind of ambushes you. And you see somebody and it reminds you of something that you did. And then you live with this regret and you just cycle it. And what we are is we're in prison. Just like he says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You're in bondage to it. You're captivated by it. You're enslaved. And one of the things that Jesus wants to free you from is that condemnation. Peter describes it this way. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die, be liberated, if you will, to sin. It might be dealt with. We might be dead to it as if it didn't have an effect on it. We're dead to it. And live for righteousness because by his wounds you've been healed. When Jesus comes and says, the truth is going to set you free, you have to know what you're being set free from. Number one, I believe you're, you're set free from condemnation, the guilt of condemnation. There is an ability for you to be forgiven. There is an ability for you to forget what lies behind, as Paul described, and to press on. There's an ability for you to not be defined by your past mistakes. There's a second one that I think you're freed from, and that is from self-adulation or self-centeredness, selfishness. Now, I think at first you, you might look at that and say, well, that's not all that much. I mean, you know selfish people, and maybe you're one of them, and, and, and you kind of realize it's like, well, you know, it's, I mean, everyone, you know, gets their way sometimes, and, and this person is in our family, and they're kind of selfish, but it's a personality, it's the way they were raised, it's um, she is or he is just like some parent. And we kind of tend to minimize it. In ways that I'm not sure that we should. It's easy to look at a guy that's an addict. It's easy to go out here on the streets and to drive into our church and say, wow, that person's a sinner. Are those people who bake this fentanyl garbage and ship it into the United States and make millions of dollars? I mean, those individuals, you know, yeah, I just want to find a place that's hot, really, really hot and send them there. Like fiery furnace hot. They're evil. It's easy to look at them as madness centers, but selfish people? William Temple maybe helps us see what is at the heart of selfishness. I am the center of the world, I see, and where the horizon is depends on where I stand. Education may make my self-centeredness less disastrous by broadening my horizon of vision. It's like a man climbing a tower who sees further in terms of physical vision while remaining himself the center of the standard of reference. I'm the center of the world, I see. So what's the real danger of selfishness? There's no room for God. 
If you must be the center of the story, if you must be the person of which everyone else plays around, then that is called idolatry. And if you are a narcissist and have to have the world around you, that is a prison. The person who in your family, everyone has to play to. That's the person that demands everything must go my way. Or I throw a little hissy fit. You know the damage of selfishness. Or the person that doesn't show up to a meeting late every time. And we, we kind of rationalize in our mind, well, they're really busy. I'm not talking about the person who got a phone call and, and comes in five minutes late because they're dealing with something. I'm talking about the person who just intentionally thinks in their mind, the meeting starts when I get there. Why? Because I'm the center of this thing. It's that person that makes everyone else play to their life. That's the person who says, God, you must play by my rules. That's the person who has to redefine things in their own way. They're not busy. They're selfish. They don't have a strong personality. They just demand that the family or the office play their way. And when Jesus came, he said, I want to free you from that. Why? Because if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to be a disciple. You have to take up your cross and follow him. If you're going to be a disciple, those who are greatest in the kingdom are the servants of all. If you want to follow Christ, you have to lose your life to gain it. And for those who place themselves at the center of the universe and fight for their life, they ultimately lose it. And so Jesus says, I want you to know the truth and the truth is going to set you free. Free from what? Condemned narcissism. Freedom to? What is the nature of freedom that he invites you to? I think a lot of times when people talk to me about freedom in the religious setting, in the church setting, they'll say something like this. A pastor, I grew up in a you know, conservative church. I grew up in a church that was a fundamentalist church. And they'll describe this. And, and they, they, they may even use a term, I, I feel much more comfortable in a progressive church or whatever the case may be. And I will ask them this question. So what are you free to do today that you weren't free to do yesterday or years ago? And, and if I had a buck for every time somebody told me this, uh, I'd probably be uh, on that free trip to Cancun. They'll say something like this. Well, I'm, I'm free to have a beer and just not feel guilty. And I'll think to myself, as they're holding a Bud Light, I said, you know what? If you were a Christian, you wouldn't be holding a Bud Light. Jesus wouldn't drink beer that sick. He just wouldn't. That's cheap garbage. <laughs> and, and, and frankly, Jesus' tastes are far above that. No, what, what, what does it mean for you to be free? And they'll describe something they can do. And honestly, I'm trying to hold my face, you know, from just looking at them like, really? That's all, that's all you get out of this? Now, uh, the freedom that we experience is not a free, I can do anything I want freedom. 
It's not. The nature of freedom is not that we get to do anything we want. Why? Because God can't do anything that he wants. That's not the freedom, if you will, that God experiences. God limits himself within his nature, his character, and the overall fundamental design of who God is. Philosophers have always over the years argued, can God create a rock that he can't move? Well, of course not. Why? The same reason God can't lie. He can't do anything that is contrary to his character. He can't do anything that's contrary to his nature. He is constrained, if you will. He's limited within the context of who he is. So are you. So if you take a fish from the ocean, they're free. They're swimming around, but you know what? They have limited freedom. Because if you take that fish from the ocean and you put it out here on the sidewalk on Liberty, it's going to flop for a little while. I really don't know how long, but it's not going to be there tomorrow. It's going to be dead. Because God has not given that fish the freedom to operate under any circumstances that it wants. It has a limited freedom, just like God. I've got two dogs and they're, they're really athletic. They're marvelous dogs. I mean, man, they can, one is just, she can jump 10 feet and she's, I mean, she's just like flies. But I'm telling you what, neither of my dogs can go to the edge of a cliff, look back at me and say, master, I'm going to go take a flight and jump off of there and fly. They don't, they don't have that ability. They're limited in their design. We're not free to do anything we want. Humans are the same way, just like a fish, just like a dog, and humans are. You cannot go. A friend of mine told me yesterday that uh, in Fairbanks, I think it was yesterday, uh, a high of negative 32 and a low of negative 40. There's not a person in this room that can go put your shorts on, run outside in Fairbanks and go, freedom! You're going to be free all right. You're going to be right in the presence of Jesus Christ and he's going to look at you and said, I'm sure glad I died for a knucklehead like you. (laughs) It was negative 40. You have to have clothing on to live in that kind of environment. You don't have freedom to do anything you want. You can't. You're limited by your design and you're limited by divine love. You cannot submerge underwater and like a fish live. You can't fly. You can't be in extreme weather, hot or cold, and live without support. And as a believer, you can't operate outside of the design of how God has gifted you. Some of you are teachers. And when you operate within that, there's a lot of freedom you have. You can teach older people. You can teach younger people. Some of you are gifted in faith and you can exercise that faith. But those of you who are not gifted in administration, you you can't operate there. You don't have the freedom to operate there. Why? Because God hasn't gifted you. You have a limitation. We're not free to do anything we want. That's not what Jesus meant when he said, then you will know the truth and the truth is going to set you free. So the question needs to be, I know what I'm free from. I'm freed from a condemned narcissism. But what am I freed to do? 
Well, what's the opposite of condemned narcissism? What's the opposite of that? I want to suggest Jesus tells us in this text. Verse 42. Then Jesus says to them, if God really were your father, then you would love me. The disciples came up to Jesus one day and said, hey, Christ, um, tell us what the greatest commandment is in the law. And Jesus said, sure, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What's freedom? It's the capacity to love. It's the ability to sacrifice. It's the glorious gift of God to forgive. It's that gift that God gives you, that freedom that God gives you to lay your life down for another person, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to take up his cross and to follow him. That's what you're free to do. Have an extra drink? Oh, my stars. If that's the limit of your freedom, God forgive you. Because the freedom that Christ envisions for you, it's a freedom to move into people's lives, to move into this world with a redemptive, passionate desire to sacrifice, to put their needs ahead of your own, to be able to be so deeply met by Christ, to be forgiven by Christ, and to be so moved by that forgiveness that you cannot imagine limiting your forgiveness of anyone else. Love is sacrifice. Love is forgiveness. Love is mercy. And love is grace. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, then I want to set you free. I want to free you to be generous. I want to free you from yourself and your own narcissism. I want to free you from your fear. I want to free you from that anxiety that always is afraid that you're going to get taken advantage of. I want to free you from that need to always self-promote yourself. I want to free you from that obsession that you have to be in the popular group. I, I, I want to free you from that fear you have of aligning yourself with another person at school who is an outcast. And if you become their friend, you're afraid of what everyone's going to say. I, I want to free you from all of that. And I want to free you to walk in a grace and a, and a love of God and a capacity to sacrifice and to let others be heralded and for you to be unnoticed. I want to free you from your passion of vengeance that when somebody treats you poorly you want to get back at them. I want to free you to love people. And when you do true freedom is being myself as God originally designed me. It's the way God designed you. You're meant to love people. You're not meant to turn yourself into an idol. It's 
It's not what God intended. Sin did that. The enemy did that. When you justify yourself, when you know you're wrong, that's not God, that's sin. And if we're going to deny ourselves in order to be free, then I have to learn to serve. And if I'm going to live, truly live, then I have to be willing to die. And when I do, I enter into the very design that God has made me. Michelangelo said it this way, and it's so, so well stated. When I am yours, then at last I am truly myself. When I am yours, and you could take that vertically and horizontally. When I am yours, it's then that I'm truly myself. God, when I fully belong to you, when I embrace your truth, it's then that I operate and live just the way you designed me. And when I am yours, when I am here to serve you, it is then that I find myself in its greatest design. And when I seek to protect myself, when I seek to center myself in the story, whether it be in my family, the church, the city, it doesn't matter. It's then that I begin to die. Matthew says it this way. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake. You'll find it. You want to lose your life? Put yourself in the center. Make people play to you. Make sure everyone knows you're responsible for the success. You want to lose your life? Commit yourself to your own self-promotion. But if you want to find yourself, Christ says, lose it. I, I like a modern day translation that takes that same verse, expands it a little bit, but it's really the same. He who holds on to his life and refuses to let himself go will lose himself. But he who loses himself is willing to give himself away in love and in the service of God and to others. And in the moment of complete abandon, when you think that everything is lost, at that moment, you find yourself and you're truly free. Some of you this morning are like my friend. You're not in a police car. Maybe you didn't commit adultery. But you know. You know that story, you know that event that just keeps haunting you, keeps cycling. And Christ says, I want to set you free from that condemnation. I want to set you free from your obsession to promote yourself. I want you to be free. I want you to be free to love, to serve, to sacrifice, to be generous. I want you to be free. And the reason Jesus says is because that's what you were designed for. That's how you were made. And when you live that way, you will know my heart is truly free.